Welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. This is episode number 125 with me, Melissa K. Norris, your host, where we teach families how to grow, preserve, and cook their own food using old-fashioned skill sets and wisdom to create a natural, self-sufficient home in a modern world. One of my goals with the podcast is to walk you through season by season, both with growing our own food, foraging, and preserving food, and if you're not able to necessarily grow it yourself, You know that when it is in season or when it is coming on so that you can get that, preferably local if at all possible, and then use it in your homestead so you're getting the benefits of those things, even if you can't harvest them or grow them yourself yet, and with the hopes that you'll be able to plan for the following season so that you may be able to grow or to get that resource yourself so that you can plan ahead but still take advantage of the right here and now. On today's episode, we are going to be diving into the world of maple syrup. We're gonna be specifically talking about tapping your own maple trees, or maybe not your own maple trees, but even someone else's. How you go about tapping syrup, how you make syrup, and then using syrup in a natural homestead kitchen. And we dive into this episode. I have a guest on the podcast because, and I share the story, you'll get more further details, but the first time my husband and I tried to tap trees for sap to make our own syrup, it didn't go so hot. So I thought, you know what? Let's bring someone on who actually does this and knows how to do it, and they can walk us through. The beautiful thing, though, is it's not just maples that you can tap for sap to make syrup. So we're going to dive all of that into the episode, but I just wanted to give you a little bit of a preview and so that you knew what we would be talking about in this episode. And beyond just talking about being able to use a natural resource, because really, tapping maples, you can farm maples. I mean, you can plant trees, but they're a very slow-growing crop. It's foraging, Because a lot of times you can go out, and of course you need to have with foraging, and I will link in the show notes, I have an episode on foraging and kind of best practices when you're not foraging on your own land and that type of thing. But really, getting syrup is a form of foraging as well. Beyond the coolness factor of being able to get your own syrup off of your own land or having a way of getting it other than at the store, buying it from someone, but to make it yourself, there are some very real health benefits to maple syrup that I wasn't even aware of. So if making sure that your food is a whole form, so it's got the vitamins and minerals and is lower sugar is something that you're concerned about, you're going to want to dive into this episode. Remember, you can grab all of the show notes. So any of the links that we're talking about and resources that we discussed throughout the episode, just go to melissaknorris.com, click on that podcast button. This is episode number 125. And without further ado, let's get straight to it. I am really excited for today's guest and our topic because I'm going to just come right out and confess. This is one area that we actually had a bit of a failure on in our homestead. So I'll share a bit of that story. And then Michelle from solelyrested.com can give not only me, but you guys some pointers as well, because I obviously need them. So Michelle, welcome to the Pioneer Today podcast. Thanks, Melissa. You have a love of maple syrup. I do. I can't, 
I can confess though, that I didn't used to care for the flavor at all. In fact, I thought I was doing the right thing when I was trying to eat healthy and went on my diet the first time ever, you know, and I thought everything has to be low sugar. So I was always buying, you know, at the grocery store on the counter, the little, the bottle that said it was the lowest sugar possible. And I thought, okay, I'm doing the best thing for myself. And my husband loved real maple. It was so expensive. We didn't have it often, but when we did, he would always pull that one off and put it on the table when we were having pancakes. And I never used it because I just, it was too rich and I didn't like the flavor. And I thought, oh no, I've got to have my low sugar all fake syrup, you know, (laughs) but now I'm a complete maple addict. I love that you say that because I will totally, I'm going to have multiple confessions today. Like we're just doing a big old confession thing. Hey, it's January. So let's just make a confession. We'll get it all out there. (laughs) We'll get it all out. And I used to be, I will raise my hand here. I used to be a huge diet cola drinker. Um, same train of thought. It was, it was low fat and it was low sugar. And so, you know, zero calories. I, I, it just makes me cringe now with Spartame and all the other stuff. Now I do not do any of that. And it's been years and it did have actually for me, it had pretty drastic health consequences. So I'm really fortunate that I cut it out a long time ago, but I'm totally with you on used to being of that train of thought, but says, you know, low sugar and low fat. And if it's, you know, fake stuff, then that must be better for us because it's the low sugar. And now we both have made a complete turnaround, which is so funny. Though I will say right now, I am doing low sugar for kind of a reset for my body, but that's with the actual true low sugar, but I'm doing high fat. But when I do do sugars, real sugars, honey, raw, real honey, real maple syrup, those type of things are totally what we have. And I still use them in my house because my kids love their pancakes and they have real maple syrup on those. So I'm curious though, what was your transition or kind of what was, I don't know if wake up call is the right word, but what transitioned you from being like not using real maple syrup and then going to using real maple syrup? In fact, you even wrote a book on it. So kind of walk us through that a little bit. In the beginning, I had my maple fanatic husband, by the way, he's my high school sweetheart. So I've known him since actually fourth grade. I first oh. <laughs> and we dated in high school. So he's been around a very long time. He's put up with me for a very long time. So the least I could do was put up with this sudden obsession that he had. We moved from the mid-Atlantic area to New England and we moved, we were blessed to find this amazing very old farmhouse on 14 acres. My first thought was, well, it's wooded acres. Like, I'm not sure what we're going to do with that, but okay, sure. I'm along for the ride. He didn't even inform me already. His mind was churning maple. How many maples are there on the acres? You know. And when he discovered how many that we had, he said, okay, our first winter, I'm going to tap the trees. And I seriously was like, why? You know? <laughs> and- <laughs> So we started with just a few, well, I guess it was probably about 10 trees the first winter. He went all out working really hard. He'd come home from work and he'd spend hours collecting his sap and boiling his sap. And then when it was time, he would can it every other night, maybe. And I'm just like sitting back going, okay, hon, whatever. In the end, he came up with, literally, it was eight, eight jars that were somewhat something we could keep. Like, I don't know how much he had to throw away for different failures and problems, but these eight jars 
or the brownest, like full of, I don't even know what that hadn't been filtered out of it and crystallized, ugliest syrup you've ever seen. I'm going, <laughs> okay, hon, how much did that cost? <laughs> because the propane that he burned and everything that he went through and all the products he bought to tap his trees, you know. So I think he figured out it was like maybe $200 for every eight ounces of syrup that first year. <laughs> oh my goodness. He did everything wrong. I mean, really he did. So the first year I had no interest still. I mean, I was still totally not a maple syrup person, but the second year is when he said, okay, we're either totally going to call this a failure and I'm going to pretend I didn't do it or we're really going to make something of it this year and I'm going to get it right. And he spent that whole 10 months in between times reading, talking to people. We do live in maple syrup country, so we have plenty of experts to find and talk to. And he was ready. So the second year, we tapped 24 trees, and he even added a whole new process with lines that he was running, so it was a little easier to collect every evening. And he learned the right way to filter everything. He learned what a reverse osmosis filter is, and he built one. And in the end, we wound up with, I think it was like 36 jars, and they were beautiful. Well, that whole time that he's doing all this reading, I was looking up things too, because I, on my blog, I had been writing about his process, you know, and just for the fun of it. So I wanted to know more about what's with this maple fascination. Is it really good for me? And what's it about? And the more I read, Melissa, I was just blown away. I couldn't believe how healthy this stuff is for you. And I'm going, what? Wait, I thought I chose the healthy option when he was eating his disgusting maple syrup and I was eating my low sugar, no calorie syrup. And I realized, whoa, I'm getting nothing but garbage in my syrup. And he's getting all these antioxidants and all these minerals. Maybe I should try it. So because his jars look so much prettier that second year, like it enticed me. Okay, maybe I'll give it a try. And it was delicious. One thing is he didn't boil it probably as long as he should have. And that made it a very light color. So that was a nice way for me to ease into it because it was a light syrup and not the heavy dark syrup that you also can purchase if you go with the heavier grade. So knowing how healthy it was for me, seeing this process that it had come out of the tree in my backyard. In fact, one tree, we have a tire swing on, like this is a beloved tree of ours. And it literally produced this amazing deliciousness that was on my breakfast table. I was hooked. And then I suddenly realized, not only do I want it on my pancakes, I want to figure out how can I use this in the kitchen for what we're baking. So the rest is history. I love that. I love that for a couple different reasons. One is I love that you're using something that's on your land. I mean, this is truly farm to table movement. I mean, this is, you're getting your, you know, you're tapping your trees, you're, you're getting your maple syrup. And so you're using stuff that's on your land, which I love. But the other reason that I love this story is this is going to sound bad at first until I explain myself, but I'm really glad to hear that you failed the first year. Oh, totally. No, I'm with you. Yeah. And the reason for that is because, so we, I live in the Pacific Northwest, so completely opposite coast from y'all. And we don't really have the sugar maples out here that you do more so back East, but we do have some maples. They're not sugar maples, but we've got maples and we've got alder. So we have a, a couple of those types of trees. Right. And mm -hmm. I had done some, I'm same as you. I'm like, 
So the time of this recording is January, and typically the winter time when you've got those freezes and then it warms up during the day, that's when your sap starts to flow. Yep. And so I had done some research and I'm like, man, I'm going to try tapping our maple trees. Now, they're not sugar maples, which means I'm not going to get nearly the amount of, of syrup from them. And it's not going to be as sweet. But I had read different accounts here and there where people had tapped regular maples and they also had tapped alders and some of those different trees. And I thought, let's we've got a few big maples on our property. Let's just try and tap them and see what happens. And our weather here in the Pacific Northwest, sometimes we're fortunate enough to get a stretch of that weather where it's clear and so we'll get those hard freezes at night. During the day, it'll warm up. A lot of the time, we're just on the verge of snow, so we don't get a hard freeze and then a warm and so the it, sap isn't really flowing. But anyways, this particular year, we decided we were going to try it. So I ordered online, like I said, the little tapping kit. And we go out there with our little milk jugs and climb up the ladder. And my husband taps in the trees and I'm taking pictures because it's going to be a blog post, right? Like I'm going to, I'm going to show all of these steps. So excited. <laughs> and the weather's, the weather's conducive, you know, the weather held out for us. And two or three weeks go by and there's like nothing, like not even really a drop that is coming into our little jugs. And we're, I'm faithfully going out there and checking them and I can, you know, look up and see without even having to climb if there's anything in them. We just didn't get anything. And I thought, well, it must just be, they're not sugar maples. You know, we just must not be getting anything. Well, so we didn't get any syrup. So of course I did not do a blog post on being a failure at it, though I am <laughs> doing it now in a podcast episode, but we, we ended up talking and doing some more research and we had not tapped them at the correct angle, which is, and we didn't go far enough in, which is why we didn't get anything. So I just love, though, hearing that you guys had a failure, too, because I think a lot of times when we're trying something new with homesteading, we just, we look at people who've got it down or have been doing it a long time, and if we have that initial failure, we're like, like man, you know, I totally failed, and we kind of give up, so I always find it really encouraging when I hear people did things the wrong way the first time and then overcame it, so oh. I love... <laughs> I love hearing that now, but I, so I am curious. So where you guys are at, what is your window? And I know it's weather dependent, obviously, but kind of what's the window for tapping that you can usually get a decent amount of syrup? The timing is always different. And in the, this will be our only our third year that we've actually tapped, but the timing I'm told is always different. It can range anywhere from end of January that you might possibly be able to start tapping in New England until actually end of February before you're ready to start tapping. We typically get our most in March. We get the most amount of sap because here it just stays cold so long into the into January or February during the day. You have to have at least 40 degrees all day long to be able to get that sap really running, you know, at the optimum time. So you need to be freezing at night. It has to stay below freezing all night long, but you've got to get it to 40 or above during the day. And we find that typically we have about four to five weeks that we find those temperatures are just right. So it's a relatively short harvest time, really. I mean, that's decent. It's not like it's just a couple days, but it's a pretty short window to, to take you through the full year. Now, I'm going to assume that the larger the tree, and I could totally be wrong. I have not done research on this, but the larger the tree, the more sap that you're going to get out of it. That's true if it's a very healthy tree and if it's located in the right area as far as it's getting enough sun, it stays warmer. You know, you could have a really large old tree that's survived in the heart of your woods that's just not getting enough sun. 
for it to be flowing as fast. We have a giant tree that we thought would be great and it gives us very little. And I'm guessing it's because this tree is probably a couple hundred years old. So it's just not any longer in its prime. It also depends on the quality of the wood. When you go to tap, when you drill in to make your hole, you can tell by the shavings that come out if it's a really high quality, younger tree because it's gonna be a really pretty light brown color. But if you're seeing something that looks old or something that looks too green, then you're either on the too old or too young spectrum. Perfect tip. See, I did not know that one. I love that. And I also love that you guys actually took into account the amount of cost the first year. And like you said, it was like $200 per jar because there usually is a money investment, not always when we're getting started with something. And I think it's always important to kind of really to calculate out your cost. So you went from being very expensive jars to begin with. What would you estimate that your cost is now per jar? You know, I didn't do the math this year because it was so pretty and tasted so good. I didn't really care, but I know it's got to be, and I was exaggerating with the 200. Honestly, it was probably maybe close to a hundred though that first year. But now we, first of all, with our reverse osmosis filter and on my website, I have links to how you can make one with that. We literally, every time we measured it, we had half the amount of sap before we had to boil it. So that reduced our boiling time in half. And that is our biggest expense because we do boil it over propane. So depending on the cost of propane, that's going to be the biggest expense we put into it. I would estimate off the top of my head that maybe we have, well, you know, I really can't estimate because I could be totally off. I would guess 8 to $10 in a jar of syrup. Are you doing a pint or a quart or what, what, what's your jar size? I'm talking a quart, yeah. A pint would be 8 to $10 probably. If you get up to a quart... I'm sure it would be 15 or 20 that we're spending on it. Gotcha. Approximately, if say you have a half gallon of sap, how much does that equal out to into the finished syrup? Typically, eight cups of sap would be one cup of syrup. So you're really concentrating it down when it's going through, it's, it, when you're boiling it down. There we are. And that's for a sugar maple, which of course has the highest sugar concentration. You can actually tap any maple. You can tap a whole bunch of trees. I have 22 that I list in my book that you can tap that, you, that make very delicious syrup. But the sweet, I'm sorry, the sugar maple is going to give you the most sugar content. So you're boiling less of it down. So you're going to get a higher volume if you're using a sugar maple versus like we were trying to tap an alder and then just a regular maple. Exactly. Gotcha. So typically one five-gallon bucket, we collect that on a good day, we collect two of those per tree, but that's on the best days, which we only have maybe like four or five of those in our whole run. But typically in that four to five week window, we're getting about a bucket of sap a day from a maple tree. That five gallon bucket, we find after we've run it through the RO filter and after we've boiled it down outside and then we bring it inside and boil it down more and filter it into our jars, it gives us about one breakfast amount of syrup. So I find that one bucket from our maple tree gives us about one breakfast of syrup for our family of six. Wow, that is fascinating. Because it would seem like if I, got a, if I had a five-gallon bucket of sap, I would be like thinking, oh my goodness, like this is going to be quart's worth. Right, no. <laughs> no. Okay. I, a few cups. That is absolutely fascinating, which when we go to the store, like you were saying, the real maple syrup, it 
can be pretty spendy. But there's a reason when you hear about all of the work and the volume that you have to collect. And then when it's actually put down into the finished product, I mean, that's why. Absolutely. And on top of that, I mean, yes, you're paying more for it. But when you realize that maple syrup is considered one of the world's healthiest foods, I mean, who wouldn't want to pay more for all the antioxidants you're getting and all the minerals and the high concentration that you're finding there? And it makes sense, again, because this is how God intended things. He put the sap in the trees for us to take out and sweeten our food. Of course, it's going to be our best option that we have. I completely agree. And that's the fascinating thing. When you're using things like blackstrap molasses, for example, raw honey, real honey, the real maple syrup, those as your, your real sweeteners, there is immense health benefits that come with each of those different things. There's actual, you know, vitamins and minerals and antioxidants, and there's, you know, much more specific profiles if you're to dive into each one. But you do not get that when you have high fructose corn syrup, when you've just got regular table cane sugar. You're not getting those benefits that you get from these other ones. Plus, these are things that you can produce on your own land, especially in regards to, well, depending upon the type of trees that you've got. But you can easily be done at home when it comes to honey and with maple syrup. So it's something that you can be I'm assuming you guys are completely self-sufficient with the maple syrup. I doubt you're buying any from the store. So that's, you're providing enough to take your family through for the whole year. Oh, I wish. (laughs) No? No, no, the problem is it's so addictive, Melissa, that, okay, we made 33 jars of it, but we love it so much, you know, and when I learned how valuable it is as a health benefit, we're putting it in everything that we bake almost, and no, I'm buying way too much. In fact, true story. My 17-year-old went on Amazon last week to see how much we could get at a bulk price. (laughs) No, we are not self-sufficient. We are just more addicted than ever to maple. (laughs) Well, I love it. I love that you're completely candid and honest about it. That is hilarious. So what did he find? Did he find that you guys could get like a large bulk amount for a really good price? Well, first of all, it sounds really funny for you to refer to my child as a he because I have four girls. So I know oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I. <laughs> Her name's Kayla. She is my major homesteader. She's the one who really pushed my family into the whole homesteading lifestyle because she was so enamored with it. So she actually got me reading up on everything. And so, you know, my husband got me into maple syrup. Kayla got me into chicken, ducks, rabbits, and cows. <laughs> But she found that the bulk prices, unfortunately, are still rather expensive. And I'd have to buy, I think it was, wow. I think if you buy five times as much, you would save, oh, you know what? I'd have to, I'd have to ask her. But I was surprised that it was still, I've got to be honest, it was still expensive. I don't think there's any way to get this great, healthy sugar for cheap. It's just, and you know, that's not usually how things work in life anyway. Usually the best things aren't cheap, right? (laughs) Very true. And like where we buy our maple syrup, well, it depends. Sometimes we have a local co-op that I can get a really good deal on it. But a lot of the time I can get it from Costco and they've got an organic brand. And so I will get our real maple syrup from Costco, which is, you know, it's a Costco sized jug. It's not, we're not talking, you know, gallons or a five gallon bucket or anything, but that that's actually where we get ours. So I was just curious if you had 
I just didn't, I didn't assume that you were buying it. I thought you guys were doing well. So I didn't even think to ask. So I was curious where your best source was. So therefore our readers can be like, okay, these are the, you know, the best prices we found so that they can have those options too. Right. No, on my site, I do link to some local options here in New England, but as far as best price, unfortunately, I, I don't think there is a great price anywhere. <laughs> for all of our listeners, we will have all of the links that we're talking to will be available for you in the show notes. So you can hit that just by going to melissacanorris.com, clicking on the podcast button, and then clicking on this episode, which is all about maple syrup. And I know that you mentioned honey. I wanted to tell you quickly that I was shocked when I found out I love honey too, by the way, that it actually has almost twice the amount of calories as maple syrup. There have been a lot of studies on honey. And of course, it's an amazing substitute for, it's, no, I shouldn't say substitute. It's an amazing thing to choose instead of refined sugar. But unfortunately, a whole lot of studies haven't been done on maple syrup. The assumption is that the same, a lot of the same qualities you find from honey, you're going to get from maple syrup, but there haven't been nearly the amount of studies done on it. But comparing 21 calories a teaspoon of honey to 11 calories in a teaspoon of maple syrup, that's another reason that I went, whoa, I need to look into using this in baking because when you're putting a cup of it or a half a cup of it in cakes or cookies, that makes quite a big difference, the 21 calories in a teaspoon versus 11 in, in the teaspoon of maple. That does make a big difference. And I actually didn't know that. I do know that honey, actually, if you take a, a cup of honey and a cup of sugar, honey is considered, I believe it, it's even considered sweeter than sugar. I would have to look up the, the macros on that again, but I'm, I'm almost positive that it actually is even considered sweeter. So a lot of times I know if you're going to be converting a recipe and you're using honey, if it's a cup of sugar, you won't actually use a cup of honey. You'll, you'll bring that back down a little bit. But yeah. that actually leads perfect into my next question because you didn't use to cook with maple syrup, but now you mentioned you're using it a, a lot in your baking and using it in, all, in your foods. So if you've got a regular recipe that just a baking recipe, you know, say it's a cake recipe and it calls for, you know, a half a cup of sugar, a cup of sugar, whatever. Do you have any things that you've discovered switching over some kind of rules for converting to using maple syrup, some of your favorite recipes? Definitely. Unfortunately, I do find that it does vary from one recipe to the next. But in general, I think like honey, you would have let you'd be using less syrup than you would sugar. If you had a cup of sugar in a regular recipe, you would want to substitute it with somewhere in the neighborhood of like two thirds to three quarters cups of maple syrup. And at the same time, you're going to have to find somewhere in the recipe to reduce the liquid by like three tablespoons roughly, because obviously you're adding a liquid sugar when you had the dry sugar before. So you want to reduce about three tablespoons of liquid. And you also want to turn your oven down typically about 25 degrees, because when you are replacing it with maple syrup, it caramelizes at a lower temperature than sugar does. So you want to keep that in mind. And of course, that would lead to having to bake it a little bit longer too. Oh, that is excellent. I did not even think about the caramelization factor in there when you're just, you know, when you're swapping it out, the sugar right. per maple syrup. That is, a, those are fabulous tips. Well, I love making, actually more than the syrup, I love making maple sugar and maple cream is my personal favorite. And basically the things you need to know to make those two things, well, I, I have eBooks about both of them and you can, you know, break it down through that. But 
basically it's all comes down to the temperature that you're boiling it at. So with maple syrup, temperature is so important to get your different products because of that caramelization factor. So that's why I knew, okay, if I'm putting this in my baking, I need to think about the temperature and figure out. And I found that roughly about 25 degrees lower is what you want to do when you're baking with syrup. Creamed maple? Is that what you said? Yeah, maple cream. Okay, maple cream. So walk me through what Tell me about this wonderful thing I've never heard of or never had before. Maple cream is, it's heaven when it comes to sweeteners. I mean, honestly, I often wonder what's, what is food going to be like in heaven? And I'm not exaggerating when I tell you, I honestly think that there will be maple cream like everywhere. (laughs) It's wonderful. I love putting it on any anything like bread and bagels and cookies and shortbread. And, and it really just comes down to once you have, you have to have syrup to begin with. Okay. And of course, for people who don't tap, of course, they can purchase just all natural maple syrup. And then you have to boil it for a certain amount of time at a certain temperature. So you have to watch carefully all those factors. And then once it reaches the magic point, you let it cool a little bit. And then you stir it nonstop for like 15 minutes or you use your, your kitchen aid to mix it up. And then it's like absolute magic. If you, if you turn away, you'll miss the magical moment. There's like this poof and you get cream. It's wonderful. Really is like thick and fluffy like a cream? Well, I wouldn't call it fluffy. Let me see. It's, it's not as heavy as cream cheese, but... But it's much thicker than a syrup, obviously. Obvious. Yeah, it's much, it's like, a, I guess it's kind of like a butter. Oh, okay. Right? Okay. Yeah. So you've almost taken it temperature-wise, and it sounds like you've taken it almost to maybe not quite as far as the softball candy stage, but kind of going along those lines. Exactly. For the candy, you want to be, I think, about 240, and I think yeah. around like 225. Okay, so it's just it's a step below taking it to softball stage. Correct. Oh, that's fascinating. No, I have never had it, and maybe because it's a West Coast versus East Coast, I don't know, or maybe I just do, have not branched out much in my culinary <laughs> areas, but because we don't have the sugar maples out here, so we have maple syrup, but it's not kind of like a, a natural right. regional thing. I've heard I've creamed honey, yes, but I never thought of doing the creamed maple or the maple cream. That's fascinating, and pretty easy to do it sounds like at home so that is something I am actually put into you're gonna laugh at me but this is my year of 2018 for my listeners that have listened to my first episode in January my word for the year is strategic and so I'm writing that down to do next Christmas because I think that would make a fabulous either a Christmas gift or just to have on Christmas pancakes or at Christmas time so I'm actually putting that into my planner right now as we're recording a note to make I may have to make it before then, but to definitely put it into our Christmas prep plans to do the great maple. I love it. Well, please think of me when you are smiling from head to toe. (laughs) (laughs) I will. Now, the next thing I want you to walk me through, though, because I thought this was fascinating, too. So we've talked about the maple cream, but making your maple sugar, because way back, hence the Pioneering Today podcast, right? But way back in the Pioneer days, 
they, mainly that's what they did is they did make their own sugar. I was just reading with my daughter not too long ago. We read through the Little House on the Prairie series. And one of my favorite ones is actually Farmer Boy because they talk so much about doing, you know, all of these things. And Ma Ingalls, the white sugar, the table sugar that we kind of think of in most homes or modern America now of sugar is the white sugar. That was only set out for when company came. That wasn't what they used every day in their cooking or their baking, but they used the brown sugar that they would make. And so how do you take your maple syrup and then bring that into a sugar form? Is it just cooking it longer or is there another process that happens? No, it's actually along the same lines as the cream and the candy. You just have to get to the right temperature for the right amount of time. So for sugar, I think it's, you know, I should have had like all my notes in front of me. I think it's like 250, 252 maybe. And I can't remember the length of time. But again, like the cream, you have, you cool it, let it cool down a little after it's reached that right temperature. And then you stir it nonstop and you, you get this poof and you have your beautiful sugar. I also loved Farmer Boy when my girls were little. And the Native Americans, of all the ways they could possibly sweeten, maple sugar was their go-to because unlike maple syrup, maple sugar is so easy to transport, to store, and they didn't have to think and have any process of canning like we would do for syrup. So maple sugar was the way that Native Americans would sweeten everything. And then they'd make a sweet syrup, I'm assuming probably just from water and maple sugar for their baking and over their meats and lots of things to sweeten it. So once you get it to the sugared form, then it's just like regular sugar that, you know, brown sugar, everything like that, then it's shelf stable. Exactly. There are certain things that you want to do to make sure it doesn't stick together or turn like a big hard glob on you. Mm-hmm. I, I do break down some of that and there's something called a creep test that you can do to make sure it's dry enough before you put it in your jars. So I break down all that kind of stuff in my ebook about making maple sugar. Awesome. And we will have links guys in the show notes to all of Michelle's articles that we've discussed, her books, and you also have a e-course. I do. I actually made the e-course over the summer last year when the self-reliant school asked if I wanted to be part of the Back to Basics Summit. And I said, well, yeah, if I can do something about maple syrup. And they said, sure. (laughs) So I put together this 35-minute course that basically is an inspiration. If people are not quite sure if they want to do this or if they're wondering about the health benefits of maple syrup, it's a 35-minute course that walks you through some of the mistakes that our family made and why we choose to do this. And then it it gives you the eight steps. I've broken it down into eight steps that we go through from the tap to our table. And I break it all down in the course. Awesome. Okay. Links to that guys as well. If you want to check that out, this has been really informative for me, especially because as I had mentioned right now, I am doing a very low, it's, it's actually no sugar, but it's also low carb. And I'm just doing it for a a reset period for my gut health mainly, but it's not a long-term thing. So I will be bringing stuff back in, but I did not know that maple syrup was half of the calories. So it's going to be half of the sugar content as honey. So I'm really excited when, well, for my kids, I 
am cooking normally for them. So they already get the maple syrup. But when I start doing that for myself is to try some of my recipes with the maple syrup more so than I have. There's some things that I already use maple syrup in, but I'm really excited to kind of play around with it. Do you have some absolute favorite recipes or some of your favorite things, which I know you said you love maple syrup and everything, but if you had to pick, let's say your top three, what would your top three recipes with the maple syrup be? Oh, well, I love maple fudge because it is so, so easy and it's absolutely delicious. I love, I call them the best ever maple scones because I'm not a scone person. So I actually love these because it's the first time ever I ate a scone and I went, wow, that's actually good. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the people who are like hardcore scone fans are just like, what? No, I teased it. Well, if you're a hardcore scone fan, believe me, you absolutely have to get my totally free ebook, download it from my website and try the best ever maple scones. And then maybe you'll decided you've like reached scone perfection. <laughs> But I also love, I have a recipe that my husband's grandmother had in her little cottage in Romney, New Hampshire, where we would go for vacation. I discovered it tucked away in her handwriting in this book that I don't know if anybody had opened it for 15 years. And she had been passed away at the time. But I came across this and I thought, oh my gosh, this sounds delicious. It was for blueberry, well, she called it melt in your mouth blueberry cake. Ooh. And, yeah, and it really is that good. And when I started baking with maple, that was the first thing I thought of that I knew I wanted to try with maple. And it is amazing. It gets even more melt-in-your-mouth-ish with the maple. <laughs> she baked it in cast iron, and I always make our cake in cast iron too. And I always think of grandma when I do it, but it's just amazing. And I have that recipe totally free in my book called The Sweet Taste that you can get in my resource library as a subscriber on my website. Another one is maple popcorn instead of caramel popcorn. Oh, fun. Yeah. What else do I love? Oh, I found a recipe from my father's youth that fell out of a scrapbook he had kept in high school. And it was all folded up. And, you know, I, this paper falls out and I have this excitement of, oh, my gosh, what is this paper? And I'm unfolding it with anticipation and I open it up and it's for, well, it's for donuts, basically. And I thought, oh my gosh, these donuts are like totally old fashioned the way our grandparents made donuts, donuts. I brought my 17 year old into the kitchen and we right away tried out these donuts and they're amazing. And then I said, okay, we've got to add maple. So we added maple glaze to them and they are amazing. <laughs> oh my so, goodness. Those are some of my favorites. And that of course is in my book called Sweet Maple. Okay. Yes. I'm kind of drooling over here. Like the blueberry, the blueberry we have, we grow blueberries here. My parents have a pretty large blueberry patch at their house and then we have our own blueberries. So I have blueberries year round because I freeze a whole bunch of them, dehydrate them, can them up, everything you can do with the blueberries. So you had me at maple syrup, blueberry melt in your mouth and cast iron. So that one is going to be my first, the first one that I try. That sounds so good. And I love I love the history. I love hearing history like that of a recipe. You know, you you find it tucked in and into things. In fact, my Christmas present this year from my mother-in-law was a 1931 cookbook that belonged to my husband's great-grandmother. 
and inside of it are all of her handwritten recipes from her and then her mom, which would be my husband's great-great-grandmother. And there's even an envelope with a recipe in it, and it's dated 1937. I am. I just got it for Christmas, and I've been making my way through it, planning out. I'm going to do one recipe. Well, it might end up being more than one, but at least one recipe a month all the way through the year. And I'm going to put it up on the blog. But I know what you mean. Like you're you're thumbing through it, and it's just this sense of discovery and a, a sense of reaching back and and kind of re- connecting with with people who, in my case, and in the case with your husband's grandma, you know, that are no longer here, but. I don't know. It's just so cool. So I, I loved hearing that those stories and the connections of people from the past. I think that's amazing. So, oh, I was going to tell you, I saw on your Facebook page when you posted that and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in love with that cookbook. <laughs> but I know I have a, also a cookbook from my father's side. Same idea. It's like, oh my gosh, the history and the stories and you see who put the recipe in and you're going, oh, Aunt Nettie. I remember stories my dad told me about Aunt Nettie and this is her pie, you know. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, that is, no, that's fabulous. And I want, yeah, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. And like we said, guys, we will have links to the books and tutorials and the recipes because if you're like me, you're like, okay, I have got to go and try at least, if not all of them, maybe at least one at a time. I don't think I'll make all three in the same day (laughs) (laughs) of the recipes. We'll have links for all of you so you can go and check that out. And the baking configuration on how to alter your recipes, that is just golden because I know when I first really started, I pretty much cooked a lot from scratch, but when I really started diving in and like, you know, making recipes healthier and with more natural ingredients and stuff, there is a learning curve. And when you're dealing with these real food ingredients, they do cost more money. And so it's so frustrating when you don't necessarily know how to convert that recipe right and you feel like you've kind of wasted, I mean, most of the time they're still edible, but you know, when you've kind of wasted those ingredients in a way or it doesn't turn out how you want it. So thank you for sharing those tips because anytime we can save someone some money and some heartache, (laughs) it's so worth it. Absolutely. Oh, and one other thing I don't think I mentioned to you, Melissa, that if anybody is considering tapping and they have lots of questions, my number one resource that I would highly recommend is a Facebook group that I actually admin and run. It's called Maple Syrup Making. And there are experts on there and also newbies who are learning it all too. And it's a great resource for anybody who's considering it and has questions. Oh, that is fabulous. Thank you. Because if my husband and I decide to tap again, which now I'm thinking we're going to have to, I'm not, I'm not to keep an eye on our temperatures though and document it to see if we have any days that are going to be right in that range above 40 and then freezing at night. I think we're going to have to see if we can get anything out of our alders and then some of our maples. And now I'm going to have to go and look up and see if sugar maples will grow here because I might just have to go plant some on our homestead. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you guys again. So for links to Michelle's book and her website and that fabulous blueberry melt-in-your-mouth cake recipe made in a cast iron skillet with maple syrup. You can grab that, all of the show notes, under episode number 125 of the podcast. For our verse of the week, 
I mentioned in the first podcast episode of this year, so at the time of this recording is January 2018, that strategic is my word. And I'm trying to be very strategic and getting podcast episodes out to you guys every single week, but also in all areas of my life. So one of the things I'm doing is I am rereading back through the Bible with a year in the Bible journal. So it's kind of like a prayer journal and where you can make notes of different verses and things that you kind of want to remember and highlight while taking you through a strategic, there's that word, plan of reading for the rest of the year. So we are going to be in Genesis and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 14, verse 20 through 24. And blessed it praised and glorified be God most high, who has given your foes into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of all he had taken. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand and sworn to the Lord, God most high, the possessor and maker of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a shoelace or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abram rich." And this is from the Amplified Translation of the Bible. And this just really reminded me is Abram had the opportunity to take all of this plunder, which, you know, is money and possessions of things, but he trusted in the Lord and he put his faith in him alone. And so that was a reminder for me. And it just really settled with me that I need to remember to not try to put my trust in the things that I can do, but to really just have total, absolute faith in the Lord and that he's going to take care of things and to make sure that my heart motivation is that God would get the glory, that anybody who would look at my life would know that any blessings that I have come from the Lord's hand so that it would all just magnify back to him. So I wanted to share that with you because that was one of my readings this week and that section just really kind of jumped out at me and I thought was very applicable to share with you. I want to thank you so much for joining me of this edition of the Pioneering Today podcast and you guys have been amazing. So as I shared, my goal for 2018 is to make sure I get a podcast episode up and loaded for you every single week. And I want to make sure that it's things that you guys are interested in and that you find really helpful and really valuable. And so many of you have commented via the blog post, shooting me a Facebook message, and even in the reviews, which I thank you so much for the reviews on iTunes, because not only does that help me know from your reviews what you're liking or letting me know what you would love to see some future episodes having and entailing, but it also boosts the ranking so that more people who are looking to be a homesteader or to be more self-sufficient, it makes it easier for them to find us so that they can get the help and resources they need to. So huge kudos and thank you from me. And because I'm finally being strategic, next week's episode, you guys, many, many, many of you have written in to me and asked specifically how I was able to heal my stomach naturally from being on prescription stomach acid medications up to six times a day to being off of them completely and not having to go back on them since. And it's been over six years. So how I did that and what the process is. So next week, episode number 126, we are going to be diving into that. So stay tuned and I will be back with you soon. Bye for now.